If you would, turn to Leviticus 10. Leviticus chapter 10. And we'll be starting with verse 1, going to 3. Notice these words here. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And then if you'll notice in Leviticus 26, starting with verse 1, You shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or pillar. You shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the great harvest, and the great harvest shall last to the time for sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely, so on and so forth. Skip down to verse 14. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules uh, so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I'll visit you with panic with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee uh, when none pursues you. So on and so forth. He continues with more cursings. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. And we pray that you would bless Uh, this reading of your word and the preaching of it. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, we've been in Leviticus, and it's it's been an interesting ride here, learning about a book, reading through a book that um, most people don't really spend much time in at all. And what we've been doing is going through a series on righteousness, righteousness being right way or living rightly. Even uh, is how we've seen it defined here, and you will remember that in the first seven chapters of Leviticus, you have uh, the really the sacrifices that are laid out. Uh, then chapters eight through ten are going to deal with um, the priesthood being instituted and all that that brings about, and then you have chapters eleven through sixteen that deal with this thing of cleanness and uncleanness, and then 17 through 27 that deal with what's commonly called the holiness code or um, really the moral section uh, concerning sanctification, really. Uh, one way to look at it has been, has been to see the first part of the book, 1 through 10, as the way to the Holy One, and 11 through 27 dealing with the way to holiness, how to walk with God. So how to approach God, then how to walk with God. Well, 
we see that sometimes it's really difficult to um, to sort of put together the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that's okay to say. Uh, the church has known this for 2,000 years. Again, one of the first heresies is to think that, that the church addresses is to think that the Old Testament is so different from the New that it must be cut off and it must be expunged from the New Testament, even even the parts that refer to the Old Testament. So, And the church says, no, no, it may be difficult, but you must reconcile those things. You ever you ever been looking for your for your glasses or your keys and you just can't find them anywhere? You're starting to get frustrated, and you you're asking or you know you're asking whoever's in the house, hey, what you know, where's my keys, man? Did you move my keys? Uh, have you seen my keys? And and all along they're in your hand, or or like uh, what's happened to us around our house before with Jessica is she's been looking for her sunglasses. I'm like, bet they're on they're they're on your they're on your head. And so sometimes we see things, but we don't really see them. What you've experienced is with, re- with reading the Bible. Uh, you, you've read a certain passage, but when you go back to read it again, you realize that there was so much that you missed, so much that you had not seen. And, and it's really neat that Jesus, when he resurrects from the dead, he actually has these post-resurrection appearances to his disciples. Sometimes he'll come through a wall. He'll present himself on the beach, uh, for instance, there at the Mediterranean as they're fishing. And he shows them that he can eat. He shows them that he's not a ghost. He's not a phantom. But he actually has had a bodily resurrection. And so he presents himself uh, really only a few times in the Gospels post-resurrection before he ascends. And once he ascends, he doesn't do those appearances anymore in that same way. Now, I understand he does... Uh, appear to Paul in person uh, on the road to Damascus, but but that's an exception. And so, Ascension Day is is actually May fourteenth. Um, so I think this Thursday. And what actually, um, you know, Jesus does is he he leaves his disciples and commissions them. He goes back to sit at the Father's right hand, and uh, in, a, in a place of authority, in, in a place that shows that he is finished with his work. And now it's our turn to work. And he commissions us. As he, as he goes up, he commissions us. And one of the things uh, that is important, though, is to see these few appearances that we do have in the New Testament of Jesus' post-resurrection. One of the things he does twice, actually, in the Gospel of Luke, he appears to his disciples and he will tell them, you know, peace be with you, because they're all freaked out when they see him. They think he's a ghost. Peace be with you. And he says to them, um, in one of the stories, he actually is talking with them, and their eyes are opened, it says, to the Scriptures, and they begin to see where he was located. He began to tell them how he was located in the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings, which essentially, Law, Prophets, Writings, that's the three sections of the Hebrew Bible, uh, even today. And so, obviously, the Bible that Jesus would have used, it was a, um, a complete canon at that point. <clears throat> and, and so Jesus appears to them and he, he enlightens them on where he is found in the Old Testament. So this is very significant. Uh, Jesus literally is saying here, in the Old Testament, I'm in those books. So my point is, if we can't find 
uh, Jesus in the Old Testament. We can't reconcile old with new. If we think there's a different God that we're dealing with in the old than in the new, then it, that's on us. That's our problem. It's not God's problem. It's not the Bible's problem. It is. It is going to be on us. That is. That is something that we are seeing, but we're not really seeing. And so, when you look deeper, we need to do more study. We need to dive in, dig deeper. Um, there's another story. Well, there's several. Again, several stories. One, he appears to over 500 people, which sort of is a built-in apologetic for for Jesus. If if 500, you know, because some people say, well, you know, they were grieving and. You know they were they were uh, just very distraught, and they began to have these hallucinations. They started seeing Jesus, when in fact they did not see him. He really wasn't there. It was just a hallucination. But one time it says that he appears to over five hundred people at once. Now that's that's just impossible to have five hundred people hallucinate the exact same thing uh, together um, all at one time. That's that's impossible, and so. It's really a built-in sort of proof, but one of the one of the things is two guys were leaving to go to Emmaus, and they encounter this man. They don't realize who it is, and long story short, Jesus again teaches them. It says uh, from the law and the prophets, again from the Old Testament, uh, where the Messiah was and how he fulfilled the suffering servant role of going and suffering and dying in Jerusalem and then rising again. And so you have twice in Luke where, where uh, you know, Jesus is showing them in the Old Testament uh, where he is located. So that's been the beauty here of, of um, tracking through Leviticus is Jesus is in this book. This is, this is a Christocentric book. And if we can't see that, then it's, it's on us. Um, and we need the illumination of the Holy Spirit. We could call him the illuminator. Um, and so we, we, we want to ask for that. We want to be diligent in studying the Word. Again, as we've said before, the Bible never just says read it, but it says to study, to show yourself approved unto God. So back to task here in Leviticus. Now we, we, we read here in chapter 10, which is again the end of that priesthood section. God has just set up the priesthood. And now you have Nadab and Abihu who offer up what the scripture says is strange fire or unauthorized fire before the Lord. God had told them to to burn a certain kind of wood and they did not do that. Uh, they, they, they went down to Walmart, got the cheap stuff, and, and they burn it before God and he burns them up and he kills them. He kills them. And that, that's really difficult to reconcile, especially in our culture. Um, you know, not saying that killing gets any easier across cultures, but it's it's uh, it has become normal in some places where where they see death, uh, whereas in our culture we do not see death. You know, people go go off away into hospitals and whatnot to to die. We're, we're typically not with people when they die, and so <clears throat> it's it's really a. A shocking thing always for us. Um, movies, okay, but not reality. And here you have two guys that, these are sons of Aaron, uh, the priesthood again, and they die. God kills them. And, you know, Dr. Oswald, uh, one of my professors, preached a message I'll never forget on five times that uh, God kills people, five stories about God killing people. And uh, you'll remember some of them. One of them is here. This is the, the first one, the first instance. You have Achan as well. That will come later. You have the prophet from Judah. 
You also have uh, the guy who reaches out toward the cart to stabilize the Ark of the Covenant, and he dies uh, right there in the presence of David. And then you have Ananias and Sapphira who die in the New Testament. All of a sudden, uh, you also get um, God who kills two individuals, a married couple, ultimately, uh, in the New Testament. And, and so that always is, again, a shocking thing. Okay, well, I guess some of these things are getting crossed over, carried over into the New Testament. Maybe it is the same God that we're dealing with, and we've just domesticized him, which is the point. That's what makes, makes really three points that uh, ultimately the five stories have in common with each other where God kills someone. Uh, all of them were serving God, and <clears throat> so all of them had some kind of way that they were actually serving God, um, from Ananias and Sapphira in the church to all the way to our story here where they're in the priesthood. And ultimately what happens to them is they, they, they tried to make God safe, safe to handle, safe to deal with, and He's not safe. Uh, he's trying to make us into something that, that He can handle, not the other way around. He's fine. We're the ones that are not fine. And so He's trying to make us into His image and, and ultimately save us from ourselves. Uh, and so, you know, they were all close um, to God in the sense that they were serving Him. Also, they all, secondly, took, um, they all treated God lightly and, and intentionally treated Him lightly. In other words, they, they should have known exactly what to do and uh, they did not do that. Um, so, like, for instance, here, God had just set up how to do it and they do not do that the way He says. And so, um, the result is death for them. And they became ultimately casual with holy things. Um, and so, you know, again, they wanted, uh, it seems seems sort of like what happens to us sometimes is we want the praise, but we don't want the cross. We don't want God's way. We want, we want to do it a different way. We want to, you know, we want the, um, the position without having to actually do what is right to get there. And the third thing about all five cases is they all occur at critical times in God's revelation. So at each, at each point, when you go back and look at them, each of, and we're not, this is not a full explanation of all this, but if you go back and look at them, you will see that they are at critical times in Israel's history and that if God, you know, if things get messed up, then people are going to misunderstand what God is trying to do, what God is, is trying to say. And so uh, God gives... Really, in, in, it was what comes to the conclusion. God ultimately gives these people uh, what we all should have. This room should be empty if God is fair, according to our terms. If He's doing what um, you know should be done, uh, then he, when he, he should kill us all. We all deserve death. Uh, we're all under the death penalty. But instead, He's gracious. Praise be to God that He is gracious and He's forgiving. And so... Uh, that's that's the good news in that, but even so, it, it's a troubling text because God is not safe. He's not. What this is teaching us is we should not get used to God. We should not uh, get to a place where where it's where we're comfortable, um, just sort of lollygagging into His presence and and just day to day humdrum stuff. This is this is not. We're dealing with God, who is an who the writer of Hebrews says is an all consuming fire, and so. 
this is this is very important stuff um, for us to hear and in Leviticus 10 and it's uh, and it's still applicable today I mean just think about this John John the beloved John the one who who laid his head on Jesus breast um, at the Last Supper the one you know the the apostle of love you know he he is exiled to the Isle of Patmos and and he's there and he has this vision of God uh, of Jesus and uh, he doesn't come up and hey bro what's up man you know and give him one of these bro hugs you know but instead in, instead no he sees uh, his eyes like a flame of fire he sees uh, the voice of many waters he does not see Jesus um, as just somebody to hang out with or his friend uh, like what we would think of as just buddies uh, but instead as Lord. So he actually falls down and all he can do is worship, put his face in the sand and worship. And, and, and sometimes we, we, in our Christian walk, you'll notice this, we'll get in times where we get into a rut, where we get into a place where, um, you know, uh, Jesus becomes just, some, you know, another, another thing. He becomes common. And what Leviticus is going to say is, look, there are some things that are common. There are some things that are sacred. Some things that are secular. Some things that are that are very, very sacred to God. Sanctified to God. <clears throat> and so you've got this clean, unclean kind of business uh, going on in the book. And, uh, you know, God is trying to show us, look, I'm not like you. But I want you to be like me. <laughs> At the same time, I want you to be in my image. I, and I can do that. I can actually do that. Um, so again, righteousness is not just, I hope you've heard me say this, it's, it's not just something legal. It's not just something uh, that, that's a one-time thing. It's, going, it, it's, it's instead going the right way, being made right. And so if there is a right way, then obviously there's a wrong way. And the wrong way is easier to do. It's, it's so easy to get lost. Um, now, of course, I never get lost. Even when I'm lost, I'm not lost. At least that's what I tell Jessica when we're going somewhere. Um, but the fact of the matter is, it is actually easier to get lost than it is to, to find your way. Especially in you know in the woods sometimes, or in a place that you've not been before. You don't have a map. You don't have a GPS. This is going to be a difficult situation. It's always easier to do what is wrong. It's always easier to, to destroy, to tear down, than it is to build up. And, and this is a case made in the Bible. And so going the wrong way is easy to do. It's the broad way. The narrow way is the right way. And this is a way that's not just declared, you know, you're right, even though you're really wrong. No, He wants to declare you right, yes, in justification, but He also wants to sanctify you. He wants to make you right. He wants to uh, amend the wrong in your life, cleanse you, purge you of your sin. These are the kinds of terms that are used in the Bible concerning our sanctification. So, uh, of course, it's easier to tear it down and to quit and give up than to persevere or stay in the fight. But we are called as the righteous ones to persevere. And so righteousness must be preserved in our life. We must stay on that right path. And, and this is a warning. Chapter 10 here is a warning against getting off that path, um, understanding who God is, and keeping him God, and not just our pal, or making him into some kind of idol. Many of us have have 
become very idolatrous. We, we make God into this being that He is not. And so we must con- constantly be corrected by, um, by the Scriptures. <clears throat> and again, I see the Old Testament, we're told, is a tutor. It's a, sort of a parent. It acts as the rules that kids would have followed. And it's really funny how kids work. I mean, you know, you, you, you have to actually make them eat. Then you, you know, which is insane. I mean, who, whoever thought about that? Like, you have to make them eat. Uh, is uh, I don't have to make myself eat at all, um, but instead I have to try to back off from eating. Uh, you have to teach them to sleep. I mean, whoever, I mean, who doesn't know how to sleep? Whereas, whereas most of us have a problem with oversleeping. Um, <clears throat> you know, you have to teach them to comb their hair and to try to look presentable. Um, what What's funny though is is actually that begins to change as they get older. They realize uh, the importance of doing this. At first, they think it's the stupidest thing in the world. Uh, but but as they get older, you know, let them let them meet a girl, and then all of a sudden, you're like, "Wow, why'd you comb your hair? Why are you so dressed up?" And and you'll realize that that love has a way of doing that. And and that's the law. The law should should be this thing that we don't have to enjoy it all the time, following it, obeying it, but it ought to lead us to love. It ought to lead us to doing it out of a pure heart, a loving heart. For God, um, the law is showing us how to live. It isn't. It isn't the motivation always for that way of living. Love is motivation. In itself, it doesn't save us, but it points us to who saves us. And so, the the Torah, the law, teaches us really three things: is who God is, who we are, and the fact that we have something in us that doesn't like His way. And and here's the good news today is that God has made a way, even starting with Leviticus, He started this way. He has made a way for us to actually be forgiven of our sins. He's made us made a way for us to be sanctified, to be made holy, and to be made right. And so we must persevere in the right way. It is our job to do it. These kids are counting on us that we've seen this morning. These kids are counting on us. To live out the gospel before them, to become literally the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, so believe the good news this morning. He is good. He's not safe. He's not our, you know, just our pal. Um, he's not. He's not our toy. He's not on a leash. Um, but he is good, and that's good news. Amen.